Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania show. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm back again today with another with another College Hoops Mania episode for you guys. This is episode number 11 of the show, uh, and you are currently listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. It was another good week in college basketball, but before I get into that, uh, I first want to ask you guys that if you guys listen to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, either one, I... I would ask that you maybe subscribe to me or follow me, depending on which one you listen to this on, as that would be very nice. Gets my podcast more publicity, gets it out there more to the public, or if you listen to this on Apple, leaving a review, leaving a rating, that just helps the podcast out a lot, and I really appreciate everybody that does that. Uh, I also have an Instagram and Twitter. My my handle, my username on both of those, you can find me at chmpodcast. My Instagram, I post scores and some takeaways of the games throughout the week. And on Twitter, I'll, I'll also tweet some things throughout the week as well. I also have a Patreon now. That's relatively new since I've gotten that. So if you guys wouldn't mind donating to my podcast, I mean, I'm not I'm not asking for much. Even $1 would be super helpful. It just helps me be able to get out better content to you guys, get better software, get better equipment that kind of stuff. So if you wouldn't mind donating, if you'd be kind enough, I'd really, really appreciate that. It doesn't have to be much. But let's get right into this today. So the first thing I want to talk about is Duke, North Carolina, which just occurred Saturday night. Duke, North Carolina looked at as the best rival in college basketball. And North Carolina came out with the win over Duke, 91-87. to Both of these teams, of course, having down years in college basketball, uh, not being their normal elite self. But first I want to talk about the winners, which was the North Carolina Tar Heels. So coming into this game, uh, I believe Joe Lenardi had them as one of the last four buys. So basically they were an 11 seed, but not quite in a playing game yet. So obviously they're on the bubble, big opportunity. And kind of going into this game, it was looked at as it could be a turning point for either team. You know, whoever won, big turning point, or if you lose... You know, you take another step back, you get another gut punch, and you gotta you gotta go from there. You kind of gotta find your identity again. But North Carolina was able to find a way to win. They bounced back from a loss earlier this week to Clemson in a game where they 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 really struggled. They didn't dominate on the glass, which is a key to be North Carolina, and they just really struggled offensively, like they have it a lot of times this year. But this was North Carolina's first quad one win, so that was big for them, big big for their resume. What Carolina has going for them is that they don't have a loss outside the top two quadrants, so they don't have any bad losses this year. But the big story in this game was freshman guard Caleb Love. Caleb Love has been a bit of a roller coaster for the Tar Heels this year. He has had trouble taking care of the ball at times. Uh, he's he shot it pretty poorly this whole year, both both from twos and threes. He's shooting under 30% from three. He's shooting a low 30s from the field. But in this game... He kind of rode all that off. He had 25 points and 7 assists. He was 9 for 16 from the field, 4 for 5 from 3. So he was scoring it outside. He was scoring it inside. He was doing it all for North Carolina. He was being the playmaker, like I said, with 7 assists. And just in general, North Carolina had 20 assists on this game, which is up 5 from their season average and really encouraging to see them play this kind of offensive performance because we really haven't seen them you know, put this kind of put this number of points up this year. They've been a team where if they've won a game, you know, it's a lower lower point total. 
They're, they're a pretty good defensive team, and they really just haven't been able to score the ball in spurts much this year because they've struggled so much shooting the ball from three. Uh, but in this game, they were able to hit uh, 10 threes, and, and they only shot 15, so they shot 67% from three. Super efficient when they were shooting it. Uh, eight of those threes came from Kerwin Walton and Caleb Love, so Walton was four for four from three in this game. And like I said, Love was four for five. Um, I would say the biggest problem for North Carolina and what's holding them back right now is just the the inability to take care of the ball. They have a young and inexperienced backcourt, and it's been a work in progress all year for Roy Williams. They they average 15 turnovers per game. And in my opinion, this North Carolina team is a few turnovers less a game from being a really good basketball team. Like, like say they turn 15 turnovers per game like they've been at, and maybe they make it 11, you know, 11, 12 mark. Those three, four extra possessions, extra shots can be a big difference in, in terms of whether they win or lose a game. Everyone knows about the elite front court that North Carolina has. Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, taking a huge step forward, and freshman Daron Sharp, who is just an animal. He's an absolute low down low. Nobody can really handle him. And and everyone knows Roy likes to play two two centers at a time. So so they're a phenomenal rebounding team, just elite rebounding team. They're plus 10 in rebounding margin per game. Like I said earlier, this is a this is a pretty darn good defensive team that North Carolina has. You know, they pack it in. If if you're going to want to beat North Carolina, most of those points are going to come from jump shots. They're not really going to let you come in the lane. They're not going to really let you get many good looks inside. You're going to have to rise up and make shots over them from the three-point line, some mid-rangers, you know. If if North Carolina is able to get the production that they were able to get Saturday from the backcourt of Caleb Love, Kerwin Moulton, and Leaky Black, and say they cut down turnovers, like I said, maybe from 15 where they're at to 11, maybe 12, this becomes a Carolina team that we are used to seeing, that we're accustomed to seeing. This is a top 25 North Carolina team if they're able to do that. In fact, it might be a top 15 North Carolina team. This team is very capable. Caleb Love is the X factor. Again, even on Saturday, with his big numbers, he still had five turnovers in the game. You know, there's still things to take away, things to learn from from this game from Caleb Love. But this is a huge, huge start. Even though he had five turnovers, he still had seven assists, so he was still he was still making things happen. Instead, of, but I mean, you really want that assist to turnover to be closer to two for Caleb Love. And instead of shooting below thirty from three, it, Caleb Love shot four for five from three. He's obviously not going to be that good of a three point shooter consistently, but maybe you get him to shoot 35, 36, 37 percent from three the rest of the year. And instead of shooting low thirties from the field, he's shooting you know, mid-40s, 42, 43, 44% from the field. That's the kind of stuff they need from Caleb Love going forward. And and defensively, like I said, a really good defensive team. They had 10 steals, actually, on Duke Saturday, and it was just from a number of guys. I, I They're pretty good defensively across the board. Curran Walton uh, can hurt them defensively sometimes, but they need him on the floor with his shooting. Like I said, really tough to score inside against North Carolina. If you're going to, if you're going to want to beat them, you're going to have to make shots. And on the flip side of that game, looking at Duke now, Duke was able to make shots, but like Carolina, they struggled to take care of the ball. And that's been the story a lot a lot of the season for them. Okay, so now talking about Duke, Duke had an 0-2 week. The week before, they beat Georgia Tech, they beat Clemson. People were starting to be hopeful for the Blue Devils and what they could be again 
against Clemson in, in particular, they played great basketball. Then on Monday night, they lose at Miami 77-75, a game they had no business in losing. And then the game I just talked about, losing North Carolina 91-87. to In Cameron, by the way. That game was in Cameron. Duke is now 7-7. Seven and seven. They have one quad one win. They have two quadrant three losses. And their NCAA tournament hopes and chances are greatly in jeopardy right now. In fact, nobody had them in the the field coming into this game. No one even really had them that close to in the field. And after this game, they're really they're really not even bubbling right now. They they have a lot of work to do to get back in the NCAA tournament conversation. And in my opinion, the two main problems for Duke are taking care of the ball, similar to like I talked about for North Carolina. And unlike Carolina, this team has serious defensive issues. Six of the last seven games, and in the one game I'm not counting as Clemson, that was kind of the X factor, the variable in the last seven games where Duke played really good basketball, like I said. Both ends of the floor, they were great. But six of the last seven games, opponents are shooting 49% from the field. That is unacceptable, and that is a number that you're not going to be able to win. You're, you're not going to win games consistently when teams are shooting 50% right around that mark from the field. That's just too hard. That's too much pressure on your offense. Duke is also averaging 13.5 turnovers per game this year. That's a number that's higher than we're used to seeing. Uh, turning the ball over 13, 14 times a game, it, it's, it, that's another number where it's going to be hard to win games. That's just a lot of possessions given away. Turnovers really hurt them this past week, as it, has a, as it had a lot of the season. They were turning the ball over at crucial moments and le- leading to easy buckets. It's one thing to turn the ball over. It's another thing to turn the ball over where you're giving a layup away at the same time. Like, you might throw the ball out of bounds, you might travel, but it, it, at the end of those plays, it's dead ball, and the opposing team is inbounding it. Against Miami, there were a number of times where they would give the ball away, and it would result in a Miami just wide open in transition layup or dunk. Carolina, too. Like, your turnovers, when they, when they turn into easy, fast break points, is when you get into huge trouble. And... Duke needs to get better in this department if they want to improve and make the NCAA tournament. I will say Mark Williams has been a bright spot for this team. He's been playing more minutes the last three games. It kind of started against Clemson where they put him in there. And it's not that he's just like scoring a bunch. It's not that they're throwing the ball into him and say, okay, go to work, Mark. I mean, he's a seven-footer. He's a big body, freshman, big man. But what he has been doing is he knows his role. Uh, he's blocking shots. It was something that they really, they didn't really have an inside presence. They were playing smaller. Uh, they, they played Matthew Hurt at the five sometimes. So they're really, they were playing kind of a five out, you know, just positionless motion offense. But Mark Williams blocks shots and he rebounds really well. And is a seven foot or something, like I said, an inside presence that Duke didn't really have. Uh, and so like he, he's been, he's been a bright spot. I'll give him that. And that, that's been encouraging for Duke. But for this team to make a run, it needs to start on the defensive end. This defense has just been allowing way, way too much dribble penetration. I mean, they played Miami, and it, if you know anything about Miami, this team really struggles to shoot the ball, and they have a lot of drivers. To beat Miami, you pack in the paint. You don't let, you don't let them drive. You keep everything in front, and you make them shoot over you. Duke was not able to do this. They let Isaiah Wong get to the rim at ease whenever he wanted. He, Isaiah Wong really tore them up. 
and you're looking at a Duke team that is 20th in offense efficiency. People complain about their offense, talk about they've struggled, which is true. They've struggled taking care of the ball, taking care of the ball at times. But they're still a top 20 offense in the country, and there's really nothing to complain there. But the problem is they're 70th in defensive efficiency. That is a number that you're not accustomed to seeing for a Mike Krzyzewski team. You're not accustomed to seeing a team perform this poorly at all on either end of the floor, just just overall losing this many basketball games for a Mike Krzyzewski coach team. But for them to play defense this poor is just really, really weird to see. And it's just looking more and more like the NCAA tournament won't contain Duke, Kentucky, or Michigan State, which is just absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Okay, getting past Duke, Carolina, next up, the next thing I want to talk about is the Gonzaga versus Baylor debate. Who's the best team in the country? Who should be ranked number one? So Gonzaga's been ranked number one this whole year. They were the number one preseason team, and they have not moved from there. For a fair reason, they have not lost a game, so why would you move them? Uh, the biggest matchup going into this week was Tuesday night, where number two Baylor played number six Texas in Austin, and Baylor was able to win this game, eighty-three sixty-nine. And honestly, it was just very impressive fashion. The one-two punch at the guard position from Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler; those two guys were phenomenal. They were hitting tough shots, and. Every time Texas tried to make a little run on them, Mitchell or Butler would just respond. I thought Mitchell in particular was just amazing. He set the tone defensively, which he's done all year. Davion Mitchell is the best on-ball defender in the country, and I believe that. And, yeah, Baylor just played terrifically in this game. They put a, they, It was a big statement Tuesday night in Austin. Uh, Baylor's actually now on pause, though, due to COVID, so... They miss Saturday's game, and then they're going to miss another game this upcoming week. As of now, who knows if it'll be more, if they'll be able to return later this week. And then on the flip side, Gonzaga beat Pacific, who's the only game they played this past week. No storyline there. That game was actually kind of interesting. Gonzaga trailed by, by as much as seven with 15 minutes to go. Didn't end up coming down to game situations. Gonzaga did end up winning by 18 points, but it was notable that Gonzaga was down seven in the second half of a game, something that we haven't really seen this this year much at all. Um, looking at rankings, computer numbers, Baylor actually is currently ranked number one on Ken Palm, BB, BPI, ESPN's metrics, Sagarin, and the net. The net is the is the ranking that the NCAA tournament committee uses to sort out to kind of group teams to sort out to uh, determine your quadrant wins. And then uh, Gonzaga is ranked number one in Torvik. So Baylor does hold the number one ranking in more of the computer rankings. In my opinion, Baylor's the most complete team in the country. I've been saying that for weeks now. And I, it's pretty hard to argue with that as they're elite on both ends. But Gonzaga is the best offense in the country, as many of you know. I would say the argument for Baylor is the fact that they defend they defend better. I don't think there's any better def, on-ball defender than Davion Mitchell in the country. Baylor has three finalists for the Defensive Player of the Year out of 15 finalists in Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and Mark Vidal. And the fact that Baylor plays in the pack in the Big 12 and not the WCC throughout the year honestly does make an impact. Like, the fact that you're getting battle-tested night in and night out, you're playing really good basketball team. The Big 12 is a phenomenal basketball conference this year. And the fact that they're being battle-tested night in and night out like Gonzaga going through the WCC, nothing against the WCC. BYU is a solid team. St. Mary's a solid team. 
San Francisco's a solid team. They 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 have some decent teams in there, but they're no Big Twelve. They don't. I mean, Gonzaga's not playing West Virginia. They're not playing Texas Tech. They're not playing Oklahoma. They're not playing Texas. They're not playing Kansas. The fact that Baylor gets to to play those kind of teams, while Gonzaga doesn't, for you know two months, little over two months, that that's a factor in in who in who would win between these teams. Who's the better team? when it comes around to the NCAA tournament. And Baylor is really just tough as nails. Like You're not going to find many teams that's going to come up, you know, play them, and you, you feel like Baylor just got out-toughed in that game. Baylor just has that mentality that no one's going to play harder than them. I really love Chama Chachua, kind of his voice out there, and, and his just aggression, his energy that he brings. He kind of sparks the rest of the team when he's on the floor. Although Flo Thamba starts, Chama Chachua plays more minutes, and he... He's their, he's their main five that they've been going with. Now, I'll say the argument for Gonzaga is they have something that Baylor doesn't have, and that's Drew Timmy. Baylor doesn't have an inside post presence. They don't have a, a single big guy that you can throw the ball into and say, go get me a bucket. Or, or like Timmy, has he can stretch the floor as well. He can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot the ball from three as a mid-range jumper. He can score this back to the basket. He, he Timmy is a first-team All-American, all in my opinion. Baylor doesn't have a big man even close to Drew Timmy. Now, Chamo Chachua might be a better, a better defender than Timmy is, but offensively, Baylor has nothing close to Drew Timmy. Uh, at Gonzaga, I, w- I would argue no offense is better than, than theirs. I mean, Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert, amazing one-two punch. Drew Timmy is a phenomenal big man. Who can he just does it all out there for him? Andrew Nemhart off the bench is he's probably the best six man in in the whole country. It, like it's hard to say like just decide between whose guards are better because both both teams have such elite backcourts. Baylor with with Mitchell and Butler and Teague and and Flagler off the bench and they and I mean they have more guys than that but those guys are all really good scorers and then Gonzaga. With Kispert and Suggs and uh, Ayayi and Nemhard, like both backcourts are just loaded, so those kind of wash out. But then, then there's some factors. Like I said, Baylor, I'd argue, is better defensive team, being more tested. While Gonzaga has Drew Timmy, and Baylor has nothing close to Drew Timmy. So determining if if I had to pick which team is better, and it's splitting hairs. But today, if they played each other, I think I'd pick Baylor. For for, I think a big part is just like Gonzaga going through the WCC and then and then just like, just the competition just rises so so fast on them. They they're kind of used to going through the motions throughout the regular season, and chances are they'll go into the NCAA tournament undefeated. Obviously that that's amazing, but sometimes a loss kind of humbles you. It you learn more from a loss sometimes. Gonzaga probably won't get that this year. They're not going to face that adversity from a loss. They're not going to know how that feels like, which not saying that's a bad thing. Like that's a huge accomplishment, but it 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 also could can bite them in the back too, because maybe they go in a little cocky. A loss, like I said, just really humbles you. So I would pick Baylor for the fact of them being more NCAA tournament ready when it would come around. And when things get tough, you know Baylor's ready to get down and dirty in a game in a tight game. A lot of times the team that's more physical, 
the team that brings more energy energy you know the team that wants to to make the the small plays you know they have guys out there ready to dive on the floor get down and dirty i i'll pick baylor's guys to do that and so i'll pick baylor to uh if they were to play each other i'd pick baylor to win the game another big matchup that we saw this past week was in iowa city it was another top 10 matchup. There were two top 10 matchups this week, Texas Baylor and then Ohio State and Iowa in in this one. I want to talk about Ohio State as they beat Iowa on the road, 89-85. Ohio State now has won four in a row in seven out of eight. They are 15-4 and four overall with eight quadrant one wins. No other team can speak of that in the country. Most quadrant one, one wins in the whole nation. Although Iowa is still rated higher in offense, offense efficiency for the year the last few games no offense is playing better right now than ohio state in the big 10 and, and maybe even the country like ohio state is playing a super high level offensively right up there with gonzaga and with what ohio state showed on thursday i would argue ohio state has solidified themselves as much as any other team in the whole country outside of baylor and gonzaga to win a national championship it goes baylor gonzaga 1A, 1B, however you want to put them, and then the rest of the country. And Ohio State has made a really good case for them to be as good as any team in the country outside of Baylor and Gonzaga. Ohio State is just so good offensively. They check all the boxes on that end. They shoot the ball well. They they have drivers. You know, they have guys that are going to be able to get inside, get paint touches, drop down to Zed Key, drop down to EJ, or EJ Liddell, but paint touches also opens outside. They have shooters on the outside. They have inside scoring with Liddell and Key. And and they offensive rebound well as well too. Ohio State has multiple guys that can go get a bucket, and that's huge because you need an identity at the end of game, at the end of games. And they have multiple guys that you can that are confident in themselves that have the ability to put the ball in their hands and just go score. And and Dwayne Washington, Justice Suing, and EJ Liddell can all be those guys. It's key to have a knockdown shooter on your team, and they have one in Justin Arns. The guy is money from the outside. They have they have really good length on the perimeter. I mean, Suing six seven, Arns is six five six six, Washington six three. Uh, they have they have versatility on offense. EJ Liddell is extremely versatile. Whoever's guarding him, it's going to be a mismatch nightmare. I mean, he's a guy who can play all over the floor and can score inside and outside. He has guard-like skills, but he also has big man skills. So he's just he's very very difficult to defend. The problem with Ohio State is this team isn't necessarily great defensively. Uh, they're outside. They're they're around seventy defense efficiency in the country, but they have shown flashes of playing of playing really well on that end at times this year. More consistent play on the defensive end in this team. This Ohio State team can take another step forward. Which honestly is scary to say because Ohio State, in my opinion, is a top five basketball team in the country right now. And the fact that they have that much more room for improvement is scary to say because they're nowhere near their potential on the defensive end of the floor. But overall, I mean, this 89-85 win over Iowa was a statement win for Ohio State. And their next game up will be Monday night at Maryland. Maryland is, you know, a hit or miss team. Maryland has really big wins, but they have a lot of losses as well. So no sleeping on Maryland. Maryland beat Purdue this past week. So we'll see what Ohio State does tomorrow night at Maryland. 
And on the flip side of this game, I do want to speak about Iowa. Iowa actually played three games since my last podcast. They played Tuesday night against Michigan State. They played Thursday night against Ohio State. And they played Sunday uh, in the afternoon against IU. And they went one and two this week. And they really struggled in all three games, though. They beat Michigan State by six, but then they lose to Ohio State and IU. Uh, even though they beat Michigan State, that was a game where they defended terribly in. And Michigan State led for a good number of that game, and, and it, it, was a, it was a close game right to the end. Iowa's now lost four out of five. And the question going around the country, and for Iowa fans, is is there a little torn on what to think right now? They're disappointed because the expectations aren't necessarily being met. But is it time to panic for the Iowa Hawkeyes? And my short answer is not yet, but I'll get into that here. So the last five games, C.J. Frederick has either been a non-factor in games as he was playing kind of hurt in those, or he just didn't play at all as he's been battling a leg injury. He didn't play in three of the last five games, and in the other two, I believe he didn't score in either of them actually, and I think he played like 12 minutes in one and 13 minutes in the other. I mean, he was a non-factor. But Frederick is an extremely valuable piece for the Hawkeyes. And that is due to the fact that he is actually a 50% three-point shooter. It's the best on the team. Everyone knows Iowa relies heavily on the three-point ball. And Fred, no one does it better than C.J. Frederick on this team. Not having him in the lineup doesn't allow them, doesn't allow them to put as much shooting on the perimeter. Because instead of him, now they're starting Keegan Murray. Murray's a really good player, but he is like a, a sub-30% three-point shooter on the outside he he can make them but he's not great out there he's not lethal like Frederick is and not only does this affect their their shooting you know their outside ability but it also affects Luka Garza Luka Garza is able to operate at his best when they have their four shooters around him because you really can't help too much inside and if you do Garza you're leaving a shooter somewhere on the outside so so you gotta you pick your poison because Garza's great one on one. He's really hard to stop one on one. But if you double him, then you're probably leaving a shooter. And not having Frederick, it, it just doesn't. It, the perimeter's just not as lethal without him. Not is he only a great shooter though, but no one turns it over at, the, at a lower rate than C.J. Frederick does. I mean, he is great with the ball. He's a really high IQ basketball player. And and yes, this team isn't playing great basketball right now. But the fact is, C.J. Frederick really matters to this team. And and let's wait for him to come back and be healthy to see if we should overreact, to see if we should say maybe Iowa's not quite as good as we think. But my hunch is when Frederick is back and when he's healthy at 100%, this Iowa team is still a top-10 team in the country and and, and maybe better than that. This Iowa team will be fine. Frederick is a big is a big missing piece, and it's not time to overreact yet, Iowa Nation. Just a reminder, you are listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Next topic, USC takes first place in the Pac-12 as they beat UCLA 66-48 to on Saturday night in the rivalry game between the Los Angeles teams. That puts USC at 15-3 and and 9-2 in the Pac-12, as UCLA and them are both 9-2 in the Pac-12 in first place, but USC has a tie break, so USC is in first right now. USC is now 13 in Ken Palm. They have a top 25 offense and defense, 13 in defense actually, really good defense. And watching this USC team, this is probably one of the more underappreciated basketball teams in the country and a team that no one really talks about. I mean, they're not even in the top 25 poll. Uh, They will be next week, I'm sure. But 
because of you know the East Coast bias, the fact that they play a lot of games at 10 o'clock at night, at 11 o'clock at night, a lot of people don't get to watch them play on the East Coast. But watching this USC team, this isn't a great shooting basketball team. I mean, they shoot it like 33, 34% from three. But they make up for it with how well they attack the offensive boards. And, and this is one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country. And they have terrific guards who can really drive it. And Tajidi, Drew Peterson, Isaiah White, all those guys can get downhill and make things happen in the lane. And, and, and inside, I mean, Isaiah Mobley is kind of a 4-3. He's a wingish slash inside kind of guy. But Evan Mobley especially is just terrific inside. Uh, he's kind of a he's one of the more athletic players in the country he's a potential number one pick in the NBA draft and Evan Mobley didn't necessarily show off his scoring ability Saturday night but boy did he show off some other skills he had I was most impressed with with how well he was uh, able to pass out of doubles I mean this guy's averaging two assists a game as a big man he had three assists Saturday night and he also had nine boards and four blocks in that game he had nine points as well but I mean he 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 wasn't able to score a lot but he still impacted the game in other ways, and that's something that NBA scouts want to see. That's something that's very important and encouraging to see from Evan Mobley. The defensive performance that USC put on Saturday night was what was most impressive about the whole game. This is UCLA team that shoots the ball pretty darn well, and, and USC just just ran them off the three-point line. They made life really hard. They really didn't give them, give them many clean looks at all from the three-point line, and UCLA actually only shot three for 19 from three and, and just 34% from the field in general. I think this USC team has high potential. I love the fact that they have experienced guys along with NBA talent and Evan Mobley. Isaiah Mobley also has NBA talent. Isaiah Mobley was a five-star too. But I love the mixture of that that they have. Like I said, this is now the first. This they are now first in the Pac-12. They have the most exciting player to watch in the conference. One of the more exciting players to watch in the whole country. And this is one of the more underrated teams in the country. It's time to pay more attention to the Los Angeles basketball team, and it is not named UCLA. Next up, a little bit of Drake watch for you guys. I had a segment on Drake last week in my podcast, and I'm very sad to say, America, that Drake, the Drake Bulldogs, perfect season came to an end today as Valpo knocked them off 74-57. That puts Drake at 18-1, and and like I said, I mean, this was becoming America's team. Everyone was cheering for these guys. They wanted everyone wanted them to finish the regular season undefeated. Sad to say that did not happen because Valparaiso, the Crusaders, spoiled that. In uh, just a little uh, recap of this game, kind of analysis on what kind of happened, Drake relies heavily on the three-point ball. They have a lot of guys who shoot it really well out there. They shoot close. To, they, I mean, they shoot forty percent from the team from as a team from three, which is just spectacular. And Valpo really locked in on that. They knew that, and they gave them very few clean looks. They, they they stayed committed to getting over the screen. That's what that's what they did best at. I mean, it was a lot of ball screens that Drake put them in, and their defenders did a really good job at getting over that. So with that result being said, America's team now has one loss. So sad to say that, but the Drake Bulldogs are now 18-1. and Let's see what they can do from here. I'm going to start... Now looking at some other notable results from this past week. There's so many results that happen in each college basketball week, it's hard to really touch on each one in depth. So I have a number of results to get to from this past week, and let's kick it off right here. 
First up, Monday night, Texas Tech beat Oklahoma 57-52. I'm just going to go over these rather quickly. Uh, the story in this one was Mac McClung didn't make a single field goal in this game, but uh, they were still able to find a way to win. He did go 6-for-6 six six at the line down the stretch, which is huge for Texas Tech. Austin Reeves still wasn't playing in this game for Oklahoma, so that definitely played a factor, although Austin Reeves did end up coming back Saturday in their win over Iowa State. So it was nice for them to have him back. I will say, uh, for Oklahoma, speaking of Oklahoma, they're, uh, the experience that a lot of guys got in, in Austin Reeves and Alondis Williams' time off will be a huge factor and a huge, uh, just huge boost for Oklahoma because a lot of guys got to play uh, increased roles, roles that they're not used to playing, and it'll help them down the stretch. I, I think this was big learning moments in these past couple games for Oklahoma because like Elijah Harkless, you know, putting on a bigger offensive role, Davion Harmon put on a bigger offensive role. It was just really, really important. I think it'll play a big factor in Oklahoma's success later in the season. I think it really helped them. Okay, next up, Tennessee. Tennessee loses to Ole Miss on Tuesday, 52-50, to and they end up beating Kentucky on Saturday by double digits in a game where they were down double digits in the second half, actually. But with Ole Miss, like I said, the score's 52-50. It's just the same old story with this Tennessee team in this one. This is a great defensive team. And everybody knows that. It's no mystery. Tennessee is extremely inconsistent on the offensive end, and they're the number one defensive team in the country. So, I mean, it's just night and day from each end of the floor for this team. If this team can score, they're an elite team. They're top five. They can be a top five college basketball team. But that inconsistency on the offensive end is what puts them way back. And we saw that on Tuesday night where they just really struggled. I mean, they scored 50 points. You're not going to win games scoring 50 points. But then on Saturday, the story was the freshman. As Keon Johnson scored 27 and Jaden Springer scored 23, they played huge, uh, huge roles in the comeback. The comeback went over Kentucky. Tennessee just put the clamps on. They started disrupting, getting turnovers, getting out in transition, and they really scored the ball well too. So encouraging performance Saturday from or from Tennessee, especially in that second half. Next game. Illinois. Illinois had a big, big week. They were going into it. They had games at IU, and they had a game home to Wisconsin, and they come away 2-0. They beat IU in overtime earlier earlier in the week on Tuesday, and then they beat Wisconsin 75-60 to on Saturday. Uh, this Illinois team is a team that keeps getting better. Uh, their big problem for a lot of this year, they were playing inconsistent basketball, particu particularly inconsistent basketball on the defensive end, but lately they've been playing better defensively. They've been putting uh, consistently good halves together on that end of the floor. Everyone knows this is an amazing, amazing offensive team. Ayodesunmu is fantastic player, maybe the best guard in America. You can make a case for that. And this team is very, very capable. And Illinois is extremely dangerous. They can, they can put. They're a top five basketball team when at their best. So. With that being said, next up, uh, a little Purdue talk. Purdue uh, was finally ranked this week. They were number 24, and Purdue lost to Maryland on Tuesday, 61-60, to and they end up beating Northwestern on Saturday, 75-70. to And the big thing for Purdue of late, and we saw it in the Maryland game, and it's been a lot of games this year, was the inability to score. And Purdue has won a lot of low-scoring games this year. Uh, they have a great defensive team, and they're an elite rebounding team. But at times, they've just really struggled to score, kind of been finding that identity on who to go to and win. 
Travion Williams has been that guy a lot of times, and lately it's been Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey, he had the game-winning three to beat Ohio State a couple weeks back. Uh, he's been kind of their guy down the stretch. He had a big game Saturday against Northwestern. He had 20 points in that game. And, and uh, Painter, down the stretch of games now, he's been putting the ball into Jaden Ivey's hands, the freshman guard. And and that's been kind of a new a new story for Purdue as Jaden Ivey has kind of emerged as their go-to guy down the stretch of games. Now, Sasha Stefanovic, one of the best shooters in the country, a key role to Purdue t- Purdue's team. Everyone knows about his knockdown ability from the outside, but he's also a really good defender, and he helps them a lot on that end. Stefanovic has actually, he missed a few games in a row. I believe I believe he missed three straight games for Purdue. I could be wrong, but I think he missed three straight games. And on Saturday against uh, Northwestern, his first game back. Now, he really wasn't much of a factor on Saturday. But, I mean, even with that being said, it's it's big that Purdue has him back. He's a key piece to the puzzle. Without him, they really don't have a, a big threat on the outside. Brandon Newman's a pretty good shooter, the freshman, but they, they don't really have a ton of options on the outside. They have guys who can make threes, but they don't have a consistent three-point shooter. So having Stefanovic is huge for Purdue. If, if Purdue wants to be a really good basketball team, they need Stefanovic playing, and they need him playing well. So that was Purdue's week, a little up and down. They'll probably drop out of the rankings this week because of the loss earlier to Maryland. Next up, and this is a huge, huge story, the emergence of St. John's, the Red Storm. St. John's basketball is back, baby. Uh, it was kind of, This is a team that has you know struggled for a large part of this year, and, and they've struggled for recent seasons in a row now. But St. John's on Wednesday beat Villanova, uh, number three Villanova, a huge win. And then on Saturday, they went on the road and beat Providence. That made it six wins in a row for St. John's. I mean, this team was seven and seven, or were this? Yeah, yeah. This team was seven and seven, and in just a team that no one really thought anything of. Because I mean, they've they lost to every good team they played, and, and they don't have any. They didn't have any big wins, but now they have a win over UConn. They have wins over Marquette, who's kind of falling apart. But I mean, a road winning at Marquette. And a Nova win at home, which is their marquee win, and then the road win, road win at Providence was also huge. I mean, this is a team that really prides itself on putting full-court pressure on you and just turning you over a lot. Posh Alexander really sets the tone on defense for them. The point guard, he gets up in you. He makes life hard on you. He did a phenomenal job against Villanova. He made Gillespie really uncomfortable, which is really hard to do. Not many people can say that they made that they make Colin Gillespie uncomfortable. But... With that being said, St. John's is now 13-7, and and I'm not sure where bracketologists have them at right now, but they got to be right there sniffing the tournament or honestly in the field right now as they have just emerged, and they're probably the hottest team in in the most surprising story of college basketball right now. The most shocking loss of the whole week definitely came Wednesday where Houston lost to East Carolina 82-73. to and and this really just came by surprise a large part too because East Carolina is just really not a very good team. I mean they were they were seven and six coming into this game. They had only won one game in the American. This was East Carolina's first win in uh, since the new year actually, and it came to Houston. So it was just a super surprising win. East Carolina was trending down, and it kind of goes to show you 
where Houston can be extremely vulnerable because this is a team that really relies on getting second chances because this team doesn't shoot well, particularly outside of Marcus Sasser. And this is a game where Sasser didn't shoot it the best, you know, from the field and from three. And uh, East Carolina was able to keep Houston off the glass. Uh, Houston only won the rebounding margin by one. Uh, they weren't able to just get a ton of offensive rebounds that, like they like to. East Carolina, and, and, and that's just one thing. I mean, East Carolina also turned them over, made Houston a little uncomfortable, and Houston's defense was just, it was just really poor. They didn't make East Carolina uncomfortable at all. Uh, East, they really didn't get up in them much. They really let them get to their spots. East Carolina just got really whatever they wanted all day. They shot the ball well from inside. They shot the ball well from outside. They were the aggressor. They got to the line a bunch of times, and they shot it well from the line. And they took care of the ball. So, like, Houston, it, you go, it goes to show you if they don't rebound the ball really well, uh, it puts them in big danger of losing a game. But it, it was uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for how their defense played. I will say that. Next team I want to talk about is Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech lost to Pitt earlier in the week, 83-72, and they bounced back on Saturday and beat Miami in overtime, 80-76. Miami was so close to picking up back-to-back wins. They were up three at the end of regulation, but Hunter Couture hit a three at the buzzer to send to overtime. A little controversial on if he stepped out before catching the ball and then shooting the ball. It wasn't uh, uh, reviewable due to the fact that, I mean, uh, he shot the ball after this happened. There was no It has to be a whistle on the play to review it, and there's no whistle, so... A little controversial, and if he stepped out, it did look like he may have stepped out before he caught the ball, which if that, would, if that, would, if that was true, Miami would have won the game. But either way, Virginia Tech went on to hold on in overtime. Kind of speaks to Miami's season, just a lot, of, a lot of unlucky events, a lot of unlucky outcomes, losing close games, and obviously all the injuries, Chris Like, Sam Wardenberg, Earl Timberlake, they've just... They've really been banged up, and they've been unlucky all year. And Saturday's result against Virginia Tech just was the epitome of what has been going on for the Hurricanes this year in Laranega's crew. But it was still big for Virginia Tech to bounce back and beat Miami on the road Saturday. Next team I want to talk about, and this may be the most inconsistent team in the whole country, and that's the Creighton Blue Jays. Creighton lost earlier in the week to Georgetown. Georgetown is one of the worst teams in the Big East. They lost 86-79 against Georgetown. And then on Saturday, they beat Marquette 71-68. They really didn't look particularly good against Marquette either, to tell you the truth. Creighton's just such a weird team and such a hard team to figure out because coming into the year, I mean, Creighton was looked at as like any really, really elite offensive team, maybe one of the maybe the best, you know, top five offense in the country, and just a really poor defensive team. It would, people were talking about how like, you know, defense would define them. Would it hold them back enough or would they be able to improve on that end? Well, Creighton has really improved on the defensive end this season. Creighton is 58 in defense efficiency, which has improved from last year, and they're 12th in offense. So similar to what people expected, but maybe not as elite offensively and maybe not as poor defensively. But the fact is, it's just such inconsistent play on both ends. It's really on both ends for Creighton. And Creighton really doesn't have a big win right now. Like they, they have, They're 14-5. and five. They've lost a lot of close games. They lost that game at Kansas earlier in this year where Marcus Zagorowski down three, got fouled shooting three, made the first two free throws and missed the third. They ended up losing by one. 
Uh, they lost to Marquette close. They lost to Butler close. Lost to Providence close. And then, like I said, they lost Georgetown earlier this past week close. This is a weird Creighton team. It's really, it's really hard to even measure them, what to expect from them. It, this is a team that free throws has hurt them at times. Uh, Mitch Ballack is either shooting the lights out of the ball or he can't make a thing. Uh, they've won games defensively. Defense has cost them some other games. It's just it's really hard to figure this team out. And they play Villanova this upcoming week, so that'll be that'll be interesting to watch in the Big East. Next result, Texas, like I said, they lost to Baylor earlier in the week, and then they end up losing to Oklahoma State again in double overtime on Saturday, 75-67. to It was just a really, really poor shooting performance, especially from Texas, but from both teams. But it was a big win for Oklahoma State, and this, this team keeps getting better and is a legitimate threat in the NCAA tournament. Next result, Missouri also on Saturday beat Alabama 68-65. to This is a game where Missouri was up 20 with six minutes left. The game just looked over, and Alabama actually came back and was down one with two different possessions to take the lead, and they just couldn't quite do it. Missouri almost choked it, but they were able to hold on, and they looked phenomenal for 34 minutes in this game. But props to Alabama. The last six minutes, they really showed how dominant they can be and how dangerous they can be at times. And the last result I want to talk about from this past week is Kansas loses to West Virginia on Saturday. And the fact is Kansas is going to be unranked on Monday, and that is uncharted territory. That is, that'll be weird to see. Kansas is going to be unranked. Duke's already unranked. Carolina's unranked. Uh, Michigan State's unranked. Kentucky. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Uh, next segment I want to talk about. Uh, I, I post on my Instagram, so if you guys want to follow me on there at CHM Podcast, I post each week some questions if, if you want, some questions answered on the podcast, so I'll answer a few here. The first question I want to answer is from Justin underscore Horling, who asked, what is your Big Ten rankings? I like this question, and I put a little thought into it, and, and I'm not really going to talk about much of my rankings, but I, I ranked them 1 through 14. It's more of a power rankings. It's not necessarily who I think should be ranked based off what they've done and you know results and stuff like that. So this is just 1 through 14 in terms of how good I think the team is. When I have Michigan, 2 Ohio State, 3 Illinois, 4 Iowa, 5 Purdue, 6 Rutgers, 7 Wisconsin, 8 IU, 9 Minnesota, 10 Michigan State, 11 Maryland, 12 Penn State, 13 Northwestern, and 14 Nebraska. So that's my rankings. It's it's pretty hard to differentiate from some of those teams, especially it was hard for me to decide between Ohio State and Illinois too. That was a tough position for me. So, yep, Big Ten, tight race. We'll see how many teams they get. 9, 10, 11 could be 11 set a record. We'll see what happens. Carson uh, Howie asked, what is your All-American first team as of right now? Uh, I, th- I thought about this a little bit. I've never really thought about this question, so I like this question as well. And this is what I came up with. I have Corey Kispert, Io Desunmu, Jared Butler, Drew Timmy, and Luca Garza as my five first-team All-Americans right now. Garza is a guarantee for that. Uh, I, be- I believe Desunmu is also a guarantee for that. I think Kispert has a really good chance. Jared Butler has a really good chance. And and Timmy is who I came up with at the fifth chance. I, th- I-, I think he'll get in there as well. So I think Gonzaga will end up getting two first-team All-Americans. Connor G.217 asked, What changed with Kansas from how they played early on to now? 
So I thought about this question a little bit, and I, I think it's pretty it's pretty simple in terms of early on in the year, Jalen Wilson was playing great, great basketball. He was a mismatch for people. People didn't really know what to expect because they hadn't really seen him play yet. You know, uh, He didn't play last year, so they didn't really know what to expect, as well as Christian Brown played more consistent basketball early in this year. I'm not sure if P- uh, Jalen Wilson is just playing worse or teams kind of adjusted to his versatility, his ability to score inside and outside. I'm not really sure what happened there but definitely a big reason is inconsistent play from Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown and just not getting the same production from those guys on an every night basis uh the next question I'll answer is from cannonball underscore 10 who asked who uh is Loyola Chicago or Drake going to win the Missouri Valley Conference so as I talked earlier Drake is 18 and 1 uh their undefeated season ended today and in this question, I, I'm pretty confident, and I think Loyola Chicago is the best team in the Missouri Valley. This team is elite defensively. This is not just an elite, like, Missouri. This is not just the best defense in the Missouri Valley Conference. This is one of the best defenses in the country. They're the six, they're sixth in defensive efficiency. Can't, I love that Cameron Crutwig played on that Final Four team. They have guys that know how to get him the ball. He scores inside, but he's also a really good passer, and he's a willing passer. I love him. He's a phenomenal player inside, so I will take... Loyola Chicago to win the Missouri Valley and these teams play this upcoming week by the way so keep a note on that uh and the last question I'm going to answer is from GC8 underscore baseball who asked how far will UNC go in the tourney that's a hard one because you don't really know what kind of seed Carolina is going to be you don't assume they'd be higher than you know an eight or or a seven but they could be they could be a six if they get rolling here because they definitely have that potential like I mentioned earlier but depending, I'm so let, let's make the assumption that North Carolina ends, ends up being a seven seed going into the NCAA tournament. It's hard to say that they would win two games in the NCAA tournament. I think they have a Sweet Sixteen potential, and I'll say this: if Caleb, if they keep getting consistent production out of Caleb Love and they cut down their turnovers, like to talk about earlier, I think this North Carolina team is a Sweet Sixteen team. So I think they have that kind of potential, even more than that. If if they really get the ball rolling, anything can happen in the NCAA tournament. But I think realistically, they're around a thirty-two basketball team. And I will end the podcast picking some upcoming games for this week like I like to do. I just have a couple selected here, so I'm going to pick these rather quickly here. The first game I want to pick is West Virginia at Texas Tech, which is on Tuesday night. This is a rematch from a game earlier where Texas Tech blew a 12-point lead with like eight minutes left, I believe, in this game. It was a really, really good game, one of the better games of this whole college basketball season. It was Mac McClung versus Miles McBride to end this game. Down the stretch, it was just kind of it was just bucket after bucket competing with each other. Really good basketball game, and for that reason, I don't think Texas Tech is going to get swept by West Virginia, and they're home in this game. So I'll take Texas Tech to win this game. Although I think these two teams are very very close in terms of how good they are. And like I just mentioned when when answering who I think is better between Loyola Chicago and Drake, uh, like I said, they play up this coming week. They do play. They play Saturday and Sunday. The Missouri Valley scheduling this year has been uh, when you when you go play a team, you go play them twice back to back days, and that's just how they've scheduled to kind of reduce travel and uh, due to COVID reasons. And so Drake and Loyola will play back to back games. So it's really hard to say. Like I, I think Loyola, you can't just pick because it's not just one game. It's safe to say I, I, I think Loyola Chicago is the better basketball team, but with Drake being at home. And playing back-to-back days, I think I think Drake will get one of these wins here. I think uh, 
Loyola will lose their second Missouri Valley Conference game of the year in this one. They lost one earlier to Indiana State. Uh, and they also have two other losses to, I believe, Colorado and Richmond, both close games. Uh, so I think Loyola will lose its second Missouri Valley Conference game and fourth game overall this upcoming weekend. But I do think Loyola is the better team. And the last game I'm going to pick is Villanova at Creighton. This is also a Saturday game. Uh, Villanova, like I said, I talked about how they lost to St. John's this past week. Villanova really just hasn't been necessarily at the same offensive level that we expected uh, this Villanova team to be at. Like they're, they're still a really good offensive team. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl hasn't been making shots like like we've expected him to. He hasn't necessarily been playing at the level we expect him to. And like I said about Creighton, they're just highly, highly inconsistent basketball team. You just you just don't know what to expect with those guys. They might go out and Mitch Ballack might hit nine threes on Saturday, or Mitch Ballack might go one for eleven from three. It's the same with Marcus Zagorowski, although he hasn't been quite as inconsistent as Ballack, but. It, it, that being said, I'll take Villanova. Uh, Villanova is a team I trust more than Creighton. I mean, even if Villanova is not shooting the ball well, they still do a lot of other things well. And and that's what I like about Villanova. So I'll take them to win the road game in Omaha on Saturday and pick up a big, big East win. With that being said, that'll be the conclusion of today's College Hoops Mania podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening to this episode. Uh, I really enjoy doing this for you guys each week. And like I said earlier in the podcast, if you haven't yet, you can go on my Instagram and find me at CHM Podcast, or you can find me at on Twitter at CHM Podcast as well. Like I said, on Instagram, I post games throughout the week. I post some takeaways on the game, some analysis on the game. So if you want to check my account out and get a little preview to what my podcast is going to be like for the upcoming week, you can check my account out, particularly on Instagram, although on Twitter I do tweet some things as well throughout the week. Again, if you wouldn't mind donating on Patreon, I, I really appreciate any donations. As I, I greatly appreciate that, it just helps me a lot. I'm not as, I mean, I, I understand if you can't donate. I'm glad to give you guys free content, but any 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 dollar, any you know, small donation really does help me. So I greatly appreciate any of that. And if you listen to this on Apple or uh, you listen to this on Spotify, you can give me a follow or subscribe on those. Give me a rating and review if you wouldn't mind. Just helps me get, my, get the popularity up for the podcast. Again, you have been listening to this on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. And thank you guys for listening. Take care. Have a good week. And I'll be back with you guys next week.